Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome everyone to this episode of Uplifting Women podcast. This is Holly Tesca and regrettably my sidekick and and co-host Kristen Strunk isn't able to be with us. Today my guest is Megan McCann and I'm delighted to have you here with me. Megan is the CEO of leading IT recruitment firm McCann Partners, which she founded in 2011. She and her team deliver IT recruitment with intention and integrity to a growing portfolio of innovative organizations. From Chicago-based startups to companies with a global footprint, McCann Partners is dedicated to creating a more equitable and diverse workforce and proud that more than 70% of their talent placements in the last two years have been diverse hires. That's amazing. Prior to McCann Partners, Megan co-founded and helped build Geneva Technical Services. It was a strong force in growing Select Tech, both premier IT recruitment firms. Uh, Megan's impact on the tech community far exceeds her day-to-day work as CEO of her own firm. She's passionate about attracting, retaining, and advancing women in technology. And for that reason alone, I am thrilled to have you here. You can view Megan's many other notable awards and organization affiliations, which are quite extensive, I will tell you. They'll be in the show notes. You are a busy, successful, and dedicated woman, Megan. So thank you so very much for spending time with me today. Thank you so much for having me and for your very kind words. We are all busy doing the good work and we do it because we love it. Absolutely. I love this, that your past two years, 70% of your talent placements have been diverse hires. That's pretty pretty doggone amazing. And there also has to be some serious story behind your deep commitment around that too. So I want to hear about both of those things. Maybe does it make sense to go back to how did you get where you are today as CEO of this successful firm? And what were the passions that awakened you at a earlier stage in your career that led you down this path? Gosh, it was a path that was not straight. Let's just put it that way. It was full of twists and turns and zigzags and course corrections. And I think probably will continue to be that as I navigate the next new and as I continue to pursue my passions. In terms of getting into IT recruitment, it was a complete fluke. I'm going to date myself, but I was living and working in Ohio having graduated from college 
and staying on at my alma mater, Wittenberg, to do international recruitment and made the determination that I wanted to get to the big city. And in those days, uh, the way you applied for jobs oftentimes was through advertisements in the newspaper. And so I found an advertisement the size of a quarter looking for a technical recruiter. I had no idea what I was getting myself into and applied and ultimately came to the big city for the interview and was fortunate enough to be hired. And if I'm truthful, I thought that was going to just be the stepping stone to getting me to Chicago. I never envisioned I would have built a career in the tech recruitment space, let alone be an entrepreneur and have now started multiple companies. But I fell into it. I loved the people that I worked with. I had amazing mentors, both of whom at the time were men. And they believed in me. Sometimes, if I'm honest, Holly, more than I believed in myself. I would tell my younger self to have a little bit more self-confidence. But I learned and grew through and with them. And ultimately, that company was sold and, and bought and sold and bought. And we left and started Geneva Technical Services. We had the opportunity to sell that. And then I opened my own firm. Uh, it will be 12 years this 11, 11 or 12 years this year. And it's been a great journey. And I've fallen into something that I adore. I love how you can help people achieve their career goals by listening and then help companies really find the talent they need to accomplish theirs, their goals. And it's been a skill that has been a superpower for me. And I've loved the journey. And along the way, realized that the further I got into my career and the more time I spent supporting the tech field, the fewer women I was seeing. And along with some friends really decided we need to make a difference. Diversity of thought is no longer a nice to have, it's a business imperative. And that includes diversity from a male, female perspective, from all perspectives. Mm -hmm. and, and so really just started taking action in that regard to try to lift others into the space a lot of work around women in IT and leaders. And it's definitely a passion project. And it's something that the team works really hard to, to do. To hire diversely, you have to put more candidates in at the top of the funnel. And so we spend a lot of time doing that in order to try to help our clients have and build more diverse teams. It's funny you talk about applying to for a job through an advertisement in the newspaper. I think that the last job that I applied for was probably a newspaper ad as well. <laughs> so I guess we're both dating ourselves a little bit. Do they even have classified ads anymore? I don't know. I don't read a physical newspaper any longer. I don't either. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? it so, is. so we've been kicking around in this space for a while here. As so many women that I speak to have a, a story that's similar to yours in that they really didn't know concretely what direction they were going in. They may have had a college education, maybe not. Maybe they went to, to school later on in their career, whatever. And what do you think was so important for you? And was it luck that you picked the right job to apply for? Was it your curiosity about the work? Was it the people? What do you think really sat with you to say, this is it. This is cool. This is what I want to do. That is a great question. Honestly, I believe it was the people I was working with okay. and their willingness to welcome me in 
and teach me. And then once I started learning, what I loved about technology that was that it was always changing. And so that kept it fresh. While fundamentally, the, what you look for in technology candidates hasn't changed a lot. They have to have core technical skills and communication capabilities and all of that. The, the technology and how we were using it was changing so dramatically. So I remember we used to walk around, again, here I go dating myself, we're going to do a migration to the PC that we're on and you have a floppy disk and now we're, we are automating that, right? So it's been fascinating just to watch that journey and also see some of the trends emerge. And also I would say the conversation around diversity continued to emerge. 10 years ago, if one in 10 people wanted to talk about hiring diversely, that was a lot. Today, if it isn't 10 out of 10, I'm surprised. Wow. Wow. Do you think uh, a lot of that has emerged as a result of the pandemic and the social unrest, things that are going on in our world today? Or do you just think it was time? It was just a time in history that it was ripe enough to emerge like it has. I think it's a little bit of both, actually. I think the conversations around diversity certainly started pre-pandemic. I think awareness to other social issues and their impacts in hiring and things, initiatives like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, I believe those have received some lift over the last two years because of everything that was happening in our society around social unrest, the, the Black Lives Matters, the aggressions against the Asian community, just the, the unrest that was happening definitely gave more of a focus from my vantage point. But the conversation prior to the need for diversity within hiring and teams was certainly there. The business imperative was there from a research perspective to show that companies that were more diverse were having more success. So the other thing I'm curious about is what effects you think the pandemic have had on our awareness about inequities in the workplace and lack of diversity and how are people thinking about that differently, which may have been somewhat affected by all this time we've spent in isolation. When I think of the pandemic and everything that we've witnessed, I look at it from the lens of things like child and elder care and the she session and the number of women that chose to leave in order to be able to care for responsibilities at home. So there is a statistic that I read recently that there were 60,000, 60,000 child care centers that closed over the last two years. And if you think about that number, and the number of families that would be impacted by not having child caring facilities available to them, and then not having access to nannies and schools because things were closed, a lot of that fell on the females that were in the home, whether it was the kids or elder care, as I mentioned. And so I think that trend from the pandemic really came to light in a big way. In fact, I had coffee this morning with a woman who is a mid-career rising star in the marketing space. And she had a two-year-old at home, could not get care from family because they are not close to family. Parents in India that could not get here, she had to leave the workforce in order to care for her son. 
Ultimately, she rejoined the workforce in a part-time capacity because someone took the time to listen to what she needed, to lean into the fact that they needed to give her a little bit more flexibility with hours. And she was able, therefore, to go back into the workforce. She now is back full-time because her son is back in school. But that, to me, is a fundamental challenge. We didn't take the time to find ways to build flexibility in, in order to keep people in the workforce. And I know that's a very, you know, black and white statement. I am certain there are some organizations that did take action, but I don't think enough organizations took action or we wouldn't have seen the numbers leaving the workforce. I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny, I was meeting with a few folks last evening and we got into the conversation about flexible work schedules. Now, this wasn't in terms of a woman who needed to take care of her son at home. This was in terms of the numbers of individuals that are leaving the workforce because of retirement. And we've all seen and talked about ageism in the past. We've all talked about the great um, resignation. We've talked about the war for talent. And I think you're hitting on something really important here that companies have not been forced to think about all of those less, let's call them, for lack of a better word, less desirable arrangements with employees because they aren't cookie. The, The easiest way to do things is to hire folks that can work 40 hours a week Everybody gets benefits based on these criteria. You get vacation based on these criteria, et cetera. And let's face it, it doesn't work for everyone. We have, and and I think people have also come to appreciate that there's more to life than just work. Yes, for sure, for sure. And the future of work is now. We have so much opportunity to really rewrite what we think is the new normal. So if you just look at people being able, we talked about it in preparation for today's conversation. You didn't have to sit in your home in Milwaukee, and I didn't need to sit in my home in Chicago to work over the last two years. We could go visit family or take a trip and be in a timeshare or I have next door neighbors that took, oh gosh, what do you call those things? You get on the road and you live in them. Uh, An RV? An RV? An RV, thank you. Took an RV and traveled for months at a time with their dog because they could. They weren't required to be in an office setting. So if you look at that equation and you wonder how people want to find the integration between work and life, that was a way people were able to do it. And even just the number of people I have talked with who have said, gosh, it was so great. I got to walk my kids to school. I got to go pick my kids up at school and I wasn't accustomed to doing that. And what I learned is I got so much more from them because I could ask questions and they would interact with me where I missed the bookends of their days because I had an hour commute on the train and then an hour home. So I think all of it opened our eyes to the need to empower people to do their job and find ways to live their best life, whatever that is for them. It may be travel, more time with family, whatever the case may be. 
Yeah, I, I hope it's opening a door to a way for people to avoid burnout, live happier, more purposeful lives, not constantly be on fire, if you will, because it is stressful. And I love your example, being able to participate in your children's bookends of their day. When they get off the bus or when they're walking out of school, that's when they're the most chatty. And that's when they want to tell you about their day and how exciting it was to do this or what a jerk Tommy was or whatever the day unfolds. It's all part of the experience. But by the time you get home from a job at six o'clock at night, they're already winding down. They're just hungry. They want to eat. They want to get their homework done. They want to get a a little time for play. They don't want to talk to you then. They really don't. Not in the way that they do when they walk out the door. So that's really a cool example. Another thing we discussed last evening even was the fact that so many people are retiring even early because of the pandemic. And if employers could figure out a way to offer shortened time schedules. I know people that would gladly, they want to stay in the workforce, but they don't want it to be the 60 hour a week grind anymore. If companies could find a way to use them two, three days a week, it would be a much easier way to keep people engaged in the workforce and not lose so much institutional knowledge because that is going to be a problem um, big time. Yes. It reminds me of the movie, The Intern. With yeah. Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, if I if I have the characters yes, correct, you do. And the interesting thing about that, if you look at the talent gaps that exist today in certain industries, if companies were willing to get creative, so that perhaps someone that was on the end of their career who may want to work two or three days a week, or m- maybe part time hours that go across five days a week, could come in to mentor, train, lead, guide, support more entry-level candidates. It would be an interesting model to put together because maybe not management per se, but that nurturing, mentoring, teaching kind of work that a lot of times, at least from customers I talk with, they want to be able to hire more junior level professionals, but they don't have the programs in place today to be able to successfully onboard, train, mentor those candidates into the next level, right? So they're busy running. And so their senior level talent that is in the, it's in their kind of height of their career doesn't have time to do it. But if we could find the model where someone that didn't want to be 40 hours, but still wanted to work, like you're saying, could bring this group Uh, up and comers into the fold. Wow. I think that would be an incredible model. And just think of the exchange between younger worker and seasoned worker. Seasoned workers can learn so much from younger workers too, in terms of technology and staying on top of social media. And I just think of all the things that I've learned from my 13 year old granddaughters. It's amazing. So it's a beautiful exchange of information. One of the things we've lost through the centuries is the storytelling that would go on from one generation to the next. And that would be how we would pass along our history. Everything is moving so quickly today that the history gets lost. And I I feel so many times in corporate America, we're reinventing the wheel over and over again, because we aren't sharing history, we aren't sharing institutional knowledge, 
We're not sharing stories about when we tried this, this is what happened so that, yeah, it doesn't mean you wouldn't try doing it again, but you would take that information into consideration with the next attempt, right? We're moving at such a quick pace that we don't take the time to do that. And I just feel like we're digging ourselves a hole. So I also wonder too, and I'd love your perspective on this. Do you think it's also because people are fearful of sharing what didn't work and how that might make him or her look versus embracing something didn't work, right? It's, I have always believed you, you fail and you fail fast and you learn and you go. That's you just pick your, yourself up by the bootstraps and you just keep going. And I wonder if you don't embrace that mentality, if you see it more as a weakness of sharing what didn't work versus an opportunity for others to learn. I wonder if that just flipping the lens a little bit on how people look at it, if that would change their willingness to share. Well, I, I think it's a, I think it, it, there's a, there are organizations that embrace that kind of thinking. I think it's a cultural thing and it can't be something that's just talked about. This is what we embrace. People actually have to demonstrate behaviors that suggest that's a good thing to do. So if we say, let's learn, let's fail fast, let's take those learnings, let's give it another shot with the new learnings. And then the reaction when somebody makes a mistake or something doesn't work or whatever it is, the reaction is, what the heck did you mess that up for? Or how did you, you know, so we're not walking the talk, right? So that's why I say it's a cultural thing. If that in fact is a, the kind of culture you want to embody in your organization, you absolutely have to do things that suggest that you're ready to really do that and support people because innovation and learning comes from experimentation. And yes. Yes. if you're afraid to, if you're afraid to experiment, you can't innovate. I wholeheartedly agree. And I also agree with the notion that it is cultural. And if that's important to you, you have to find a way to instill that in the team to know that there is that opportunity. And at the end of the day, at least in the line of work that I'm in, we're, we're not curing cancer or saving lives. We're not, we're helping people, but it's the help is not a life or death situation. And I feel if we look at the situation from that lens, it gives you a little bit more creativity and a little bit more flexibility. Well, I'm going to argue with you on one thing. I think the work that you do is extraordinarily important. Maybe you're not saving lives. Maybe it's not brain surgery or you're not an astrophysicist or whatever kind of people making a living that they can support themselves and their family is just an absolute need. And as we've seen the, as we've seen the middle-class kind of melt away in this country and people suffer to be able to sustain a decent life for themselves and their family. I would say that the work that you do is equally important in helping people find jobs where they can support themselves and their families in a manner that we should be able to just because well, we're humans. You. That's true. I do. I believe in the value of our work and it is a true calling for me. 
And I will tell you the other thing, at least for me over the last two years, which was really interesting, is particularly in 2020, the number of individuals we were able to place into new roles who had been displaced because of COVID was high. Mm -hmm. And the gratitude that those individuals expressed was like nothing I've ever experienced in my career, including someone saying, I can now go buy Christmas presents for my two daughters because I know I have a salary job that I'm walking into versus being concerned about how to cover bills on unemployment. And that really struck me. He was so gracious. And I, so we, we do great work and it is something that does change lives depending on scenarios. And I am proud of it. I am proud of it. So thank you for, for that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. People, sometimes the kind of work that you do, you're hidden heroes is the way I look at it. Hidden heroes, because it's not brain science and it's, we're not out in the field saving lives, but in respect, in, in some respect, you are. People lose hope. People have taken their own lives in desperation over losing jobs. It's important. It's important work and don't ever forget that. So thank you. I appreciate that. What are some of the things that you see um, coming down the pike in terms of IT recruiting and where are we all headed? This is, like you said, this is a really exciting time because things are opening up. There's a lot of demand for, for employees. We're having a hard time finding them. What, is, what are the top couple things that you're seeing that would be good for, especially because our, our audience is primarily women, not all women, but primarily women. What are some things that you would suggest or offer uh, for women that might be out there looking, especially in the IT field? What's, what's up and coming? Oh, goodness. Use your voice. Ask for what you want and deserve. And do the research. There's so much out there right now. It's an interesting time in technology for a variety of reasons. Unemployment is at an all-time low. Those coming out of programs aren't as many as the number of rules that are out there. There's right now an inflation in terms of compensation that is challenging for those organizations that can't keep up and yet an opportunity for those that are, are taking advantage of it. But it also creates challenge internally with pay equity. So there's a lot of factors right now that just the very nature of remote work, if companies embrace remote work two days in, three days out, what does it look like? There are candidates, it's a definitely a candidate-driven market, and they are asking for what they want. And so I would encourage women to do the same. Too oftentimes, we don't vocalize what we want. We don't ask because we're fearful of a no. We don't apply to jobs because we have seven of 10 requirements for the position, but our male counterpart does, and he has three of the 10. And so we need to step into our power and advocate for ourselves and advocate for others. We have a responsibility to create seats at the table for the next generation of female leaders. And if there isn't a seat for us, then we need to make our own seat, and then bring someone else along. And if we do that, we'll continue to see change. The fact that we are 
135 or 136 years away from equity, and it's 200 years when you look at pay equity, is that's my niece and nephew children's children probably, and that is not acceptable. The other thing that I think is really interesting, as I've read a lot over the last month, given it was Women's History Month and International Women's um, Day, women are paid 80 cents to the dollar of male, of our male counterparts in many instances. And if you look at that over a lifetime, Holly, that's a million dollars. And if you just think about the power women have in terms of financial decisions in the home and organizations that they support philanthropically, that's a million dollars more that could have, okay, maybe not quite a million after taxes and all those other things, but that's more money that we could infuse into the economy to invest in other women, to invest in organizations that are supporting other women, to help female entrepreneurs or other underrepresented groups. So there's a real opportunity for us to continue to move this needle. And certainly I believe that it has to happen at the macro level in terms of policy change. I spoke a little bit earlier about childcare. That might be a place where government needs to step in. I don't know, but we've got to start looking at things like that. But at the micro level, I don't want to discount that small actions also can make a big impact. So if you look, for example, just in the recruiting space, it could be as simple as how you review resumes to how you put your panels together to interview people, to the onboarding process, to pay equity within organizations, to hiring managers, men and women alike, making a stance that they won't hire until they see a diverse slate. So it doesn't, we don't need to change the world tomorrow. I wish we could in this regard, in this area change like overnight, like a flip of a switch. We've proven that isn't happening right now, but there are some wins and we need to continue to walk in that direction so that there is more meaningful, impactful and systemic change. Absolutely. I love that. We do need to step into our power as women. I I wholeheartedly agree with you on that and ask for what we want for. Being fearful of no, it drives me crazy because people will say to me, do you think I should ask? And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. At least if you ask, you have a fighting chance that you could get a yes or an opportunity to make your case. So you do need to ask for what it is that you want. And I love this. Women do need to advocate for other women. I, and, and I know many men who are also wonderful sponsors of women in the workplace and have worked tirelessly to create more equity across the board. But the work is far from over. And we need this to just continue to evolve. And hopefully we can make sure that it's not your niece's children, children's children before we get to a dollar for dollar. Because you're right, small actions can make a big impact. And it's the collective of those small actions. So yes, big macro changes definitely needed. We need appropriate and affordable daycare for women to be able to participate in the workforce and to get those jobs and not have to leave for whatever reason, usually child care or elder care, so that there are arrangements for those children or their adult family members that need assistance. But 
don't forget about the small actions too. Invite somebody to come to join you at a networking luncheon. Offer to mentor someone. It doesn't take a lot. And really the reward, what that person is receiving from you, you are getting tenfold. I agree wholeheartedly. You talked about learning from your 13-year-old granddaughter. And in addition to McCann Partners, I co-founded an organization called ARA, which stands for Attract, Retain, and Advance Women in Technology, alongside Jane Hamner, who is now part of my organization as the Chief Growth Officer, and Leslie Vickery, who is the CEO and founder of ClearEdge Marketing. And we started the group here in Chicago, it's national in scope, probably eight years ago, we touched more than 6,000 women across the United States. But the underpinning, the whole foundational cornerstone of ARA is mentorship. And it's interesting because the concept of mentorship is often thought of as junior level to senior level, but mentorship can come in all forms, right? It can be peer-to-peer. It could be someone younger to someone older. There was a CIO who asked to be mentored by a younger person because her team was built of young people and she was of a different era. And she's, I need to understand what drives these people. So I would like you to mentor me. And I think that's a really interesting point for having mentors and the power of mentors, your personal board of directors, whatever you wish to call them. And also for anyone listening that has maybe not considered the difference between a mentor and a sponsor, I think that's a really unique conversation to have, right? A friend in the industry, Christine Stone says, the mentor is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he or she can help you through all three. Three. The sponsor is your voice in the room where you are not, and it's the good. And so just even understanding those differences in terms of how you surround yourself with people to support your career growth, I think is a really important conversation. Absolutely. And that's where the asking for what you want makes so much sense too, right? If you really want and need someone to be a sponsor, of course, you need to You need to make sure that you are putting your best foot forward with them. You're establishing a solid relationship because somebody doesn't want to be your sponsor if they don't trust you and consider you responsible and all of those things. But when you get to that point, when you've established a good relationship with someone, ask them point blank, can you sponsor me? These are my career aspirations. You know, we can't sit around and wait for somebody to tap us on the shoulder and say, oh, I noticed you've done good work. Would you like to fill in the blank? No, it's like, I see a problem that I think that I can get my hands into and fix. Who do I need to get the right attention on me? Who do I need to sponsor me in order to get that attention so that I can put my hand up and say, I'd like that job. Even if you do not aspire to be a CEO, you are the CEO of your own career. So I love that. I love that, Megan. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to advocate and do what's best for you, right? I feel oftentimes employees believe that they are at the whim of the employer, right? The employer is going to take care of me. They're going to do what's right for me. And that's not I believe in the power of people and I'm a positive person. I'm a glass half full, but you can't let it lie only in someone else's hands. You have to take some responsibility and advocate for yourself. And I believe once you put it out there, it sometimes can be scary to put out to the universe what 
you want, what your goal is. But I say dream big, put it out there, share it so people hear it and know it, and then make a plan to work towards it and ask for help along the way, but definitely need to be your own CEO. Absolutely. Any, before we give a pitch for your business, any final words of encouragement or advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Think of giving your 25-year-old self some advice. What would that be? Uh, Dream big, walk confidently towards the dreams. Do not be afraid of fear. It is an emotion. And I encourage you to take the energy that comes with it and turn it into a positive and move in the direction of growth. If you fall, because we all are going to fall, pick yourself up, learn and keep moving and use your voice. We have so much work as we've talked about yet to do. And we owe it to ourselves and others to use our voices when we can to advocate for the person that isn't in the room, but who should be heard. That's amazing. It's amazing. So before we part ways here, Megan, give us a little, a little infomercial, if you will, if people are interested in connecting with you or perhaps interested in your services that you offer, how can they get in touch? First of all, thank you for welcoming me today. It was delightful to be with you, Holly. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, our website is McCann Partners, which is M-C-A-N-N Partners with an S.com. I am on LinkedIn as Megan McCann, Twitter as Megan P. McCann. And then I also would encourage you to look at Aura If you are in technology and interested in getting involved, it's a great organization. And there's lots of things that we do from a programming perspective where you can learn from others. And that website is ARAMentors with an S.com. Fantastic. This has been a really good conversation, Megan. Thank you again so much for your time. And uh, I know our listeners will enjoy this interview very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.